Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul Oneid. And today I have the pleasure of sitting down with someone who I met this weekend and honestly hit it off with uh, way better than I could have ever imagined, Justin Cavanaugh. Justin is the CEO of Athlete HQ. He's the author of the book, Man Up. He's a strength coach. He's a mentor. He's a business owner, entrepreneur, and a lot more other things than I can possibly put into an intro. So I'll maybe let him intro himself. Did I do a good job? I think so. Shit, it always sounds better on paper. I tell people, you know, as a funny story about intros, my uh, girl I dated in high school, uh, we went to our all, my All-American game when I played, and she goes, apparently I'm dating a stud. I'm like, what do you mean? She's apparently here, Justin Cavanaugh, 6'2", 225 pounds, and runs a 4'4", 40. I don't know who that is, but apparently I'm dating him. And for those that don't know, I am not 6'2", and uh, <laughs> I don't have a six-pack, uh, but I wasn't All-American, so I'll take it. But uh, yeah, long and short, I am uh, born and raised in Miami. I was a five-sport athlete, had a lot of success growing up uh, on the sports side. I, I learned early on that sports was going to be kind of my gateway drug to doing the right thing and not having to worry about drugs, violence, or making the wrong decision. Um that led me on a path to uh, coaching. I got forced into coaching earlier on. Uh, I think people ask me, and oh, it's so great that you started at the top and like you got a chance to work with these pros and Olympians. I think it's the most vulnerable place to be uh, because as a coach, my job was not developmental. My job was not figuring it out. My job was not fucking it up. That was my yeah. job. I cannot screw it up because I was handed opportunities that I wasn't prepared for. My competency level was not even close to the confidence that people had in me and it was really don't mess it up you know my first olympian went on to you know medal in 2004 my uh, my first pro client went on to get drafted um and then ever since there it was you know stay in that world because i really do well in the high performance world mm -hmm. and i don't do well in the general population just interested in kind of lifestyle changes I like having skin in the game. And for the last 21 years, I've always had skin in the game. And I'll tell people I coached as soon as I could, and I will coach as long as I can. The day I stop coaching is the day that my athlete steps in the ring, puts his hand on the line and is ready to go in whatever sport that is. And I do not have butterflies and I'm not nervous. I'm done. Cause that means that it didn't mean the same. It doesn't mean the same to me anymore. I think that was one of the first things that I asked you when we met this weekend was, do you still coach athletes? And you said, I'll always coach athletes. And that really resonated with me because, you know, regardless of what businesses I have, what other pro other services I provide, I will always be a coach first and foremost. And while the population that I've coached has changed over time, whether, you know, going from, NCAA Division One to CIS in Canada to, I mean, even, you know, disabled populations prior to starting Master Athletic Performance and now mostly powerlifters and gen pop, I'm still going to be a coach. And everything yeah. I do is coaching. It's and hard to, to take someone that is in their blood. Like that's who you are. Yeah. The, the discipline and the, the, the medium of how you get that through that message across that, that doesn't matter, but who you are to the core is, is someone who's, is pouring into others. And in, in order to do that, uh, in order to fill your cup up, you're going to have to continue to pour into other people because mm -hmm. that's your almost internal challenge. So you're not, you're going to get bored probably knowing being around you, you'll get bored um, you know, when the stakes are not there, when there's no one to coach, if it's just a computer screen, that's not who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and it's funny you mentioned the not having butterflies in your stomach. And, you know, when, when we were on the panel, we were asked, you know, what the hardest part, hardest point in our career was. And I mentioned how I got burnt out at one point. And I never got burnt out from coaching. I got burnt out from the situation around the coaching and the, the environment that I was in. But just like you said, when you didn't have the butterflies, the way I described it when I spoke to the teams, I was like, I am not in a place mentally where I can give to you. I have no more in me to give to you. And it's not fair for me to keep coaching you. I think what happens is when the environment strips us of our passion, 
It's yeah. not that you don't have any more to give them. It's that they are not willing to receive it. So it burns you out when someone is rejecting you because of what is in their best interest, you start to lose that drive, but that has nothing to do with you as a coach or as a man losing that fire and not having more to give them. It's that you had more to give them than they were willing to receive. And that's when that moment you needed to kind of graduate, graduate from that experience. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it. I like that perspective. Um, okay. Let's talk about, you know, you said coaching is in my blood. It's obviously in your blood. We started speaking off air and it prompted me to start the podcast. Cause I think it's something that we absolutely need to talk about. Cause our audience on this podcast is mostly coaches. And when we talk about your identity as a coach and how you portrayed that to the world, the first thing that comes to my mind is obviously in the people that you work with. But I think the way that you convey that to the public is through social media, is through your content generation. And what you mentioned, maybe just, just repeated about, you know, if you, what you said, doing what I do has worked for 21 years, why would I change it? Right? Now you see people adopting almost these personas for yeah. social media rather than just being uniquely themselves. Yeah. I think the world, I think the world is craving authenticity because we're in a world where it's so easy to be superficial and you're not deep, but I don't, I don't like to have shallow conversations. I like to have deep conversations because that's where the, that's where the results drive all the way down into the relationships. Um, And again, you could talk about like the things that are seen at the surface level, Everyone could see that. So it's just a matter of, is my six pack better than yours? Is my, you know, is my lift better than yours, heavier than yours? Is my speed faster than yours? That's the superficial level, which means the people are going to be attracted to the results. Well, everyone's going to have results then which they could market. And then at the next level, it's going to be resiliency. You're building a level of resiliency within that relationship as you go deeper, because that's a little bit more on the tangible stuff. You're really building it. But the intangible stuff is the deep stuff that you feel, which is the relationship, right? Which is the work that you're trying to build. So I don't like to have superficial conversations. I'm not great at the small, small talk. Am I good in social situations? Absolutely. But my, my strategy for being good in, uh, in social situations is by going deep to the core, to the root of people and figuring out what drives them. So where I think we've gone uh, um, like off where we've kind of fell off track in this world is two phases, right? You have the coach that is completely um, incompetent or immature or not Mm -hmm. ready yet, or too young that is embodying the presence of someone who's had the experience. Mm -hmm. And then they act as if, However, I do believe there's a lot of value in someone acting as if, because if someone acts as if and they believe it and they do it, they will start to become it, right? You are the thoughts, you are the actions that you put in on a daily basis. However, when you build this persona and you're living off of the the handful of superficial testimonials and you're living off of adopting someone else's personality, you start to lose who you are. And then you don't, you're actually on your way to become something that you don't even like. So there's this group of people in the earlier stages that see the success that's happening. And they say, I got a secret to this. I got the only only person in the world that could teach you these things yet. I haven't done enough to actually be that. That's one category. The other category, which I think our world is going too far into is guys who are actually pretty damn good coaches. And at one point they were good dudes Mm -hmm. and then they stopped coaching. And when you stop coaching, you lose yourself a little bit. A good friend of mine, uh, coach Nicole Rodriguez is one of the best coaches I know. Uh, And I will tell anybody that, that she's one of the very few people in the world of speed or sports performance that could coach circles around me. And I don't say that about anybody because my ego's, you know, hard to fit in the room too. (laughs) However, she is that good. And one of the things she told me, she goes, Hey, Cav, I think what it is, is they stop coaching and then they lose who they are. So they're still trying to seek and find themselves. And while they're doing that, they're kind of personality hopping. And I started to think a little bit and I started to build on that topic because it sat with me of like, man, I like that person. They were good dude. They're a good coach. Well, why do they have to act that way? And the reason why they're acted that way is because the insecurity is public. That's mm. constantly public. And that insecurity is just out there. And they never felt like they were good enough as a coach. And they actually were. 
So in order to kind of cover that up, they had to start something else. They had to become the expert in this and they had to be the expert at that. And they have to be the expert at this. It's like, look, man, just be you. You know, I mean, have I coached a a lot of powerlifters? Yes, but you will never hear me telling the world that. Have I worked with bodybuilders? Yes, but you will never see me telling the world that. If I got a real bodybuilder that I need to work with, I'm talking to literally Justin Harris or I'm talking to Ben Mayfield, depending on where they are in the world. That's it. Why am I going to try to be somebody that I'm not? That's not my jam. So I go to the person that I trust, that I think is better than me at it. And now it makes me look better. Because you're gonna you're gonna associate me with the value of the expertise in which I'm connecting you with, instead of trying to say that hey I'm a physicist too like that I'm not. So yeah. stop pretending and start positioning yourself with somebody with a level of authority that just does what they do. And I happen to be somebody that knows my lane, and then I just connect those dots. That's all I do. So I, I think that there's a big gap in the industry from their insecurities. And yeah, I mean, most people put on a lot of muscle and and they put on a lot of strength because they've gotten bullied or they have insecurities. So they start doing those things. And when they do that, and then they turn into business, then they start becoming, they have to become something else because of those insecurities. So it just evolves, right? Um, I mean, some of those insecure people I know are powerlifters and bodybuilders. So you're in a great conversation, Paul. How are we going deep here? I love it. This, I mean, these are the kind of conversations that I live for because I like you. I'm notorious for getting into these small talk conversations and then asking that one question that pushes the person too far. And they're like, Whoa, I wasn't ready for this. Yeah. I think (laughs) the cool part about that is that's when you know, if you're going to work, it's going to work or not. So I, I'm a big believer that you don't know where someone's loyalty lies until there's a chance for them to not be loyal. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, I'm super loyal to you. Like, I believe in you. You're my guy. And then there's a little bit of adversity and that's actually when you find out. So loyalty doesn't exist until you find out it's actually broken. And with that, it's also, how do you push someone's buttons? The fastest way to find out who someone is, is put them in an adversity situation. Yeah. Hold their feet. Cause we're going to find out where they're going to go. Yeah. You find out if they're going to sink or swim. And, and the idea of, you know, having confidence in who you are grants you the ability to have humility, right? To to ask for help. Because if I know where, where I am in my lane and I can't help someone do something, I got a list of referrals as long as I need it to be to find someone that can help that person. And I think absolutely you save yourself a lot of one liability, um, <laughs> but two time frustration and your reputation by referring out. I love it. Like when I'm speaking to a young coach and the answer out of their mouth is, I don't know, but I can find out. I know that that person's going to be okay. That's a, it's a very mature statement that most young kids are not taught to do that because they're not taught that that's okay. Yeah. And I would also say that it actually makes you look better and you'll be invited into conversations more often if you're a young coach willing to do that because then they go man he's he's willing to kind of hear me out i think that one thing that people could take away um from this is that high level people they know if you're full of shit or not Mm -hmm. so you'll just kind of we give people enough rope to hang themselves we give them a long leash and see if they get tangled into it I, I kind of have fun with it. It's probably a bad trait personality wise, but I'm just warning you. We're going to be like, Hey, cool. And I have people all the time. I'm like, Oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. And I'll just be like, I'll take a picture with me and that person. And they'll be like, who's that? She's like, Ooh, whoops. Yeah, no shit. And I think that the, the key is to understand that your, your skill, one of the greatest skills that you possess is that you are unique and that if you are rememberable, right? If you're not just a forgettable person, then people are going to count on you. I think reliability and dependability is something that a lot of young people do not have. Um, And I think that if you actually just are, you become a very dependable person, Mm -hmm. um, even if you're not like the highest competency, you're going to over time get there because people are going to always rely on you if you're dependable. And if people are constantly relying on you, then over time, you're going to have more stripes on, on your belt than most people, which by default, that learning loop is just going to get closed more often. And you're going to have more experience, which is how you're going to develop wisdom. 
And then you're immediately going to be the guy that I trust with that one situation because number one, you're always there. And then number two, at the end of the day, you're getting better. And people that we pour into, we like to see progress. And I, I learned this, right? So yeah. for those that played football at a young age, if you want to get in the game at a young age, you're standing right behind your coach. Offense, oh, sure. boom, you're standing right behind the coach. Defense, you're standing right behind the coach. If you want to be in the game, who are they going to look to? Who are they going to look to when they need a body? And if you're there at some point, they're just going to call your number. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing in life. If you're there, they're going to call your number. So sometimes just being in the environment and being somebody that is dependable is all you need. Yeah. The confidence in that other person referring you will happen over time. Don't try to jump the gun. Yeah. Well, that, that was one thing that I made sure of over the weekend is like anyone who I met or I connected with, I sent them a message when I got home and I was like, Hey, great to connect with you. Just not for any other reason, other than just to fortify that relationship, to make sure that it was remembered and you're going to remember my name. You're going to remember the interaction that we, we had. And maybe in the future, it leads to something. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we just say hi to each other at conferences, but that's, that's currency in my eyes. Yeah. And, and, and for those that are listening, that's basically uh, uh, one of those like uh, mic drop moments for him because I don't do that well. And I'm like, my heart's sinking right now. I'm like, oh my God, I'm bad at that. And I, I appreciate almost not necessarily being called out on it, but understanding how valuable that is because that's how we wouldn't be here right now. No, exactly. if it weren't for some sort of proactive outreach, because I'm just too busy. And I don't mean to be busy in the sense of, oh, look at me, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm busy in the sense that my focus is in an area where my values are and where my mission is. And I can't be distracted by that other stuff. But if if somebody aligns with mm -hmm. my path, like I'll jump right on board. Like I'll deviate because I know I'm going to get right back on track. Um, but I I almost can't do that voluntarily because then I'll lose focus, right? I have to become a racehorse with blinders on. And I appreciate you, Paul, for doing that because I, I honestly, I wouldn't have reached out. Like I just know my oh, personality no. well enough. And it's not meant, I, I swear to you, it's not an offense. And I know you don't no, take it that way because you actually close that gap, but yeah. I know other people do. And that's probably your maturity, but that's also just the way that you operate. So I'm grateful for it because these conversations wouldn't have taken place if it weren't for that. So the way I looked at it, to be fair, is I've always had an earn your keep mentality. You have to earn your keep. You have to earn your seat at the table, bro. You're at the table. You're at the head of the table. I'm that guy like starting to come up and, you know, I was chatting with, with Matt nickel and he, he paid me some really over the top compliments. I'm not sure I deserve, but anyway, he's like, you know, you have a level of coaching where, you know, you reach a level where you do something cool for yourself. Then you do, you help other people do it, do something cool. Then you teach other people how to do cool things. And then you help others reach your level. I'm trying at that. I'm at that level four where I'm trying to help others bridge that gap all the way up. But then there's people above and beyond that are pushing the limits of what this industry can do. And there were a few of them at the conference. And those are the people that I want to surround myself with. And I know that I'm the one who has to make the effort to do that because I'm trying to get to their level. So if I have expectations that, oh, this guy didn't reach out to me because he's a pompous asshole, I'm not going to get anywhere in life mm -hmm. because I need to earn my keep. If I want to be around Cav, I got to put myself around Cav, right? So in that, in that analogy that you made about coach athlete, Man, you're the guy, so I'm going to be standing right behind the guy. And then if the guy turns around, I'm going to be right there. It, it, proximity is power. I'll give you an example. I had a number of people reach out to me and say, hey, I'd love to be around you for you know what you're doing you know, here. Are you guys going to go teach us uh, a seminar and this and that? I'm like, look, I, a client is in uh, in Europe. I say, hey, next week I'm going to be in, um, in Italy uh, talking. I'll be in Amsterdam at a seminar. It's uh, invite only, but I, I have a golden ticket because it's Hank's seminar and he only wants good people there, but I would be, love to invite you. And it's like probably an hour and 20 minutes away for this person. And, and it was just kind of like a kind of a mute response. And I'm like, hey, man, I, I don't, I, that's kind of crazy to me, you know, whereas like 
Owen Lacey is a good example is in Ireland. And I'm like, dude, I, I've had like a, my Ireland trip canceled five times. And I'm like, now I'm like trying to make it happen. I'll do anything I can to get to that Island because I want to be around that environment. Fun fact. Uh, when you brought up Matt Nickel, it's kind of funny. Cause that's one of the coaches I actually did follow back up with and reach out to. I've been friends with Matt for a long time and we rarely get to connect other than Swiss. And I did not see him because I was on the stage four to five different times at Swiss, whether mm. panels are speaking. And uh, I, it's just an honor to kind of support Ken in any way I can, because I think that you got to respect the people that bring you to the show. And I was like, hey, man, Matt, like, I didn't even see you. Like, I'm at Serrano's. I thought you'd be there or whatever timing. And he's like, man, it, it, it is like that. And Matt has just this um, young mentality of pouring into people. He, he pours into people with the same passion that he did to his, you know, young athletes that he does into young coaches. And it's something that I, I love and I, it inspires me to continue to do that. But I think that there's a, a lot of parallels to that and the concept that we have with our athletes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm at the, I'm at the Olympic level now and I'm at the pro level um, for quite some time. And we built a saying of like, Hey, you know, I don't chase greatness. Greatness chases me. Because if I if that's my goal, if it if we're going to be great and we're going to be the establishment, then I can't be chasing you. You mm -hmm. should be chasing me because we're already at that level and people are going to set that standard. Um, and it has backfired in the past because our athletes, I'll be like, hey, hurry up, let's go chop chop. And they'll be like, hey, coach, you can't rush greatness. Can't rush greatness over here. <laughs> but there's a there's a lot of value to that to understand that if I have to chase you. Yeah. Then my value to you is going to be diminished for sure. based upon my focus. My focus is not going to be on what we need to accomplish. My focus is on the discipline to get you to be accountable to the work that is going to take for you to achieve that success. So where do you want my effort to be as a coach? Do you want my effort to be in the strategies and tactics to deploy what you need to get to the top? Or do you want my effort just to be in the Motherfucker, do your job. Where do you want my time and effort? I'm going to give you all of my time and effort, but they right. can't be divided. You can't catch two rabbits at the same time. So which one do you want me to catch? And I have to catch the priority. And right now, if you're not doing the job, that's the first priority. Then the next one is going to be the strategy. So where do you want my focus as a coach? Because you're only going to get one version of me. Right. And I think, I think that has to be that collaboration of you and and the athlete or or you and the business associate whatever it might be if you're in that leadership position you can't lead with an iron fist you can't you, you have to have that person let you know you know this is what i need from you and then you can better calibrate what you need from them and that's how you're going to be able to move forward i'm wondering how you've applied like cuz i look at the businesses that you that you run and we spoke briefly about a few of them it doesn't matter if you're coaching an athlete or you're the CEO of the company, you still assume the role as coach. Always. Matter of yeah. fact, it's actually the language in my companies that they call me coach or calf. Believe it or not, in the sport environments, most people call me calf. Okay. Uh, in the business environment, most people call me coach. And what it is, so there's a lot of reasons for that. You imagine walking into an executive board meeting and they walk around and be like, hey, John over there and Al and Mike Allen's over there and then Dr. This is over there and whoever's over there. And then, oh, that's coach. I got, I got some, sure. yeah, I got their attention. Mm. Early in my career, I used to wear a hoodie and sweats and I realized that that was not uh, showing up in my best self. It was me showing up basically saying, hey, look at me. I'm just as smart as you and I'm a coach in a hoodie and sweats. And it wasn't what I wanted to be. It made my job harder because I like to be kind of, um, I like the underdog, you know, kind of mentality. Why do you think and I have I, neck tattoos and hand tattoos? That's exactly why. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I like that mentality. I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed this kind of idea of, uh, of surprising people. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're a dumb, you're, you're the dumb jock. My bio, yeah. my background's in biology with a concentration in neuroscience. That's nobody's business until we start having a conversation and we can actually break down cellular function and have a little, you know, cool talk, cool talk. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I didn't know you were a nerd. I'm like, Oh my God, someone called me a nerd. That's like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think like, I, I would have never thought that I consider it. Cause my friends that are our nerds, 
they're way smarter than me. You know, my, you know, my wife speaks seven languages. I'm reminded by her on a regular basis that I could barely speak one. So there's a sense of, you know, pride that I have when you start to like surprise people early in my career, I used to surprise them by the way I used to look. Mm-hmm. And now I realize, like, okay, it's doing me and the organization a disservice by not showing up at a professional level. It doesn't elevate that role. You saw me there at Swiss when you were presenting. Here's a great example regarding body. If you guys saw Paul present, man was literally in slacks, tight shirt, literally looked the part, clean cut. I mean, definitely had his, you know, had his sleeves taken in a little bit so that it looked a little bit tucked on the sh- on the shoulders. Yes, it did. They yes, were not. They were not. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Let's just <laughs> boy with yeah. He was doing little easy curls in the back to make sure he looked good amongst everyone else. And uh, don't worry, that's all coming from jealousy. It's all right. It's the greatest form of flattery. Yeah, yeah, but um, well, I mean, it's not rocket science. He showed up like that because he was on that panel. And then when he needed to kind of be around the crowd and be welcome to be in an environment, he was in shirts and a t-shirt and a crossbody, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, cool. He still had a signature style. He still was himself, but he wasn't trying to distract, which a lot of people do. He was trying to distract from the attention from the wrong area. He was all about being a man of service. And I'm acknowledging that because I see those things. I showed up in a suit. Yep. Right. I'm giving a presentation on rehab. I know that there's doctors in the audience. And once I'm done with that, I'm, I'm taking that off and put my hat back on. I'm actually more comfortable in a hoodie and sweats, but I understand that it's also good for me to be less comfortable. It's very good for me to be in an environment that I'm not as comfortable. Sometimes I have to put a a uniform on that I'm not as comfortable in so that I could assume that presence and elevate my game. A lot of times being the underdog, I have that confidence of like, I'm going to surprise attack them. But what ends up happening is, is then I basically understand that anything is good enough and I don't want to be that. I want to challenge myself to show up and embody that on a regular basis because that's difficult for me. And I almost choose to put myself in a harder, harder environment. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that environment is just close. So that resonates a lot with me for like, so I mentioned I worked in disability rehab. So that was both mental and physical disability. So I went from coat motherfucking kids in the weight room. You're not trying to make fun of me, right? Because no, 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 it's okay. My mom told me I went, I took the, I took the special bus. I didn't understand (laughs) what you meant later. So I went from motherfucking kids in a division one weight room to trying to convince Sally that it was safe for her to go outside because of her agoraphobia. And I realized like, okay, if I want to resonate with this person, I need to dress the part. I need to soften the way I look. I wore my glasses. I made sure I was clean shaven, long sleeve shirt, slacks, all the nine. I said, okay, now the message is being received a little bit better. I like starting behind the eight ball. I like when people look at me and assume that I'm stupid, assume that I'm hard-nosed. But I also recognize that that is their immediate assumption and that allows me to recalibrate and take an even more, like, we'll call it an adapt. I don't want to call it a soft approach because it's not soft. It's more so. I think it's more adaptive. I think what you're doing is you're, so put that into perspective, right? So to that environment though, say whatever you want, you're fucking intimidating. Oh, for sure. Yes. So, so in that environment, you're intimidating. You walk into a college weight room, you hold a certain presence that people look up to. So that intimidation becomes an authority, whereas the other intimidation becomes insecurity. Yes. So it's like, where do you want your leverage? Do you want your leverage to become anxiety or do you want your leverage to become adrenaline? Mm. They're the same neurotransmitter. Yep. Adrenaline and anxiety are the exact same components and pathways. There's no difference at the neurotransmitter level. It's how you receive that and what you right. do with it. It's a, that's a conscious decision, but the that actual, person. yeah, but the actual chemical structure and what happens in the brain, oh, nothing yeah. changes. Right. So I would argue that what you're doing is you're allowing them a, a chance to start the conversation on first base. Mm. Whereas a lot of people show up with this intimidating factor. And I think that's a, that's a critical thing for us um, is as coaches, we have to understand how we show up and that matters just as much as the way we want our athletes to, to, to show up too. So if I want my athlete to show up more prepared, it's like, Hey, I want you to wear this type of clothing on a regular basis because you're going to feel better when you train. 
Mm-hmm. And I've worked with environments where they don't have enough clothes, you know? So we just tell our, you know, our elite guys say, Hey, listen, I want you to pass down some stuff. You guys do a bunch of Salvation Army's donations. Let's give it to these guys and teach them how to show up. This is where I do think that social media could train the younger generation in a positive way. Absolutely. Because if you could get kids to stop consuming and actually start producing, they will dress better. If you could get kids to stop consuming and start documenting, they will be more accountable because someone else is going to respond back and be like, yo, what you eating today? If you every day show up what you're having, someone's going to respond that. back, but we don't think about it like that. We just think that this, you know, Jack hats just, you know, on his phone all the time. So the question is, do you want them to be, you know, consuming, right? Or do you want them to be producing? And for me, we want them to be producing, but if they are going to consume, here's the question for the coaches that are insecure about stuff online. Would you, are you going to be bitching, moaning and complaining? that they're consuming some, you know, jackass trainer that's doing some dumbass shit that doesn't get results, but he has a shit ton of followers on social. And you're watching this kind of guru approach or this expert approach. You know, I tell people all the time, it's like, Hey, you guys say everybody's cutting edge, dude, maybe you're so far on the cutting edge that you don't even know if it works yet. Cause you haven't trained anybody. You're so far advanced that we just don't know if it's going to work that it's like, wow, this is the next great thing. I think you're giving them a little bit too much of a benefit of the doubt on that one, but uh... yeah, for sure. For sure. So I would like, why don't you show up so that they're attracted to you because they have a skill that you don't have, which is called likability. Relatability, likability. And that's, that's one thing that like, okay. So one thing that I really resonated with me about sitting on that panel and, and I'd love for you to speak to it was all of us on that panel knew exactly who we were speaking to and how to speak to them. We did it frequently across multiple mediums. We did it very consistently and we've done it for a very long period of time. So that's the difference between why we were on that stage and why there were people in the crowd. Hmm. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Not only do I agree, I think that we need to double down on that. I think people that don't have that platform, it's not because they weren't giving, uh, it's not a good or a bad opportunity. It's their preparation for the opportunity. They were not prepared. So I didn't tell this story, but for those that know how I got my start at Swiss, I snuck into my first Swiss in Canada. I broke my back. L4, L5, T1 was completely handicapped. I, st- I lived at uh, Dr. Irene Korsovskaya's house. She recovered me. And during that window in, in the early 2000s, you know, she was doing these kind of trade shows and we were at another event where she would, you know, do. she was a uh, naturopath. Uh, and she was a medical doctor as well. Yeah, I heard her speak. Yeah. Oh, so she's incredible and life-changing person literally has saved my life multiple times and um, kind of snuck my way into this little like powerlifting or strength coach symposium for like Kairos. It was weird. It didn't make sense back then. Yeah. And um, years later I came back with Ken <laughs> and I told him I'm going to bring a bunch of people once he like kind of started it back up again. And uh, you know, brought multiple people and kind of like overpaid because I was like, Hey man, you know, I was this kid that didn't have money. And I, you know, stuck yeah. in to, to get a seat and he did a rehab panel and he goes, Ken never asked for anything. I have been around him for never. years. He doesn't ask anyone for anything. So he looks at me and mind you every day, I'm like, Hey, what do you need? How can I help? Like, can I help? I'm good. Everything's great. And he goes, yes. I'm like, Oh shit. I, I was like, I never thought this opportunity would come. Atkins going to ask me for help. I get to serve. So he's like, yeah, we have uh, we have the rehab panel going right now. We got to like take the uh, stuff off the stage. Can you help me bring these chairs to the stage? I was so grateful for the opportunity to give back by carrying something for him that it made me so happy. Mm-hmm. I put the chair down and he goes, good. Now sit down. You're presenting. What? Shit a brick right there. That was the first time I got on stage is he goes, good, sit in. And then you're like, oh, crap. Now, the cool part about it is why was that such a good opportunity? Well, for a decade before that, I was coaching every day. Yeah. So if I didn't coach, I would have never been able to go on stage and just show up. Exactly. I would have had to in my head. Oh, my God, what am I presenting? I would have been like, all right, what's the problem? Do my job and then talk louder. 
instead of talking to the client that was on the table, I was talking to the audience. So yeah, I had had experience presenting before, but the nervousness of that room, you know, it's a little bit harder when you have the people that you look up to in the room that you're yes. working on. So that's how my Swiss journey started. And I think that out of just respect for that, you kind of have to pay homage and be like, dude, what I, whatever I could do to serve. And now my job in Ken's wor world is not serving via bringing up chairs. It's serving by trying to get the next generation back into that world and bring them up there. So I brought on, you know, Dr. Dylan Seeley, you know, who literally was an intern. And I brought up Dr. You know, Lars Stevenson, who was an athlete of mine and played, you know, college football. And now he's going to, you know, now he's a doctor. So it's like, you bring those people up on stage, Maylin Donovan, who I think is one of the best in the world. Like you bring those people on stage. This is where like, I met Dr. Danny last year. And it's like, you yep. bring those people to your world and you put them on stage because they're the best at what they do. Yes. And you want to just kind of bring those people there. That's my service now. It's not the education anymore. You want to know how I met Maylin? Oh, I do. She worked for the same insurance company that I worked for, and we did the same job. No way. Yeah, this was back in 2015, 16. That's awesome. Before, yeah, before she went in full time on her own business. That's crazy. I mean, it's it's nuts. You know, I met her through through Chris, and kind of watch going through that evolution of Christian's career. You know, Thibodeau went from being, you know, fat, fully haired, you know, guy to Olympic coach and then working and doing his thing to, in my opinion, one of the smartest guys that was able to kind of grab attention um, yes. and, and do great work. But he's a great coach. Like he was a he was an Olympic, you know, lifting coach. He did a great job from in my opinion. He did a great job in the sports performance world. And that's probably where his heart is. But that's not what he's known for. No, he's you know, not. I think he was this, too soon. He goes like this. And he goes <laughs> I taught him how to do the captions on his videos. That's classic. That's classic. So it's like <laughs> you meet these people and you realize they're not only are they great people, but there's so much they could offer you and yeah. you just have to be grateful for the chance to be around them. And you got to reciprocate. Reciprocate. I think, I think oftentimes people don't do that. No, not at all. And, and like, oh man, there's, there's so many rabbit holes that we could go down there, but I want to kind of circle back a little bit into, so you started off, coaching you're a coach at heart you still coach but now you've branched into other aspects of your business sure. i do i do a lot of business coaching now with young coaches looking to build their online businesses and once they've established some sort of stability it's always what's next and i wanted to ask you know what your trajectory was from a business perspective and how you moved from one stage to the next that's a great question so for me in in my kind of experience, I was really good at coaching. And then you realize that you're not good at sales. <laughs> so you had to become good at sales. And then when you're really good at sales, you're not good at marketing. And then you had to become really good at marketing. And then you're really good at marketing, but you're not really good at the actual business operations. And then you become somewhat competent at that, which I don't think I am yet there. And then you move into the finance side and it evolves over time. I've learned that um, I've bolted on businesses into my life. Most people will tell you that you cannot run a brick and mortar facility with just sports performance and be successful. For 20 years, I ran a company that 95% of our business was sports performance and 5% was general population. And mm -hmm. we crushed it. We did more money than most people do today in different industries. So, you know, for us to do two commas in the sports performance world, right. not compromising the integrity of the quality of our training and watering it down, high discipline, high level work, putting hundreds of kids a year into college, working with tons and tons of pros across multiple different sports and disciplines, having an internship, having a coaching program, bringing in certifications. Most people didn't think that was possible. I didn't listen to what they had to say. No. I didn't care. That's what I wanted to do. We're going to make it work. And then we started to bolt on components in our business, which is where, you know, the business part of the, the work I did started to come. I learned marketing in 2011. I, uh, Years before that, I knew a guy named Sam Kauchi. Sam Kauchi, um, 
after his internship, went to work at a place called Perfect Competition. They crushed me. I was down in Miami. We had built 39 different locations. I could not stand this guy. When I say I couldn't stand him, Paul, I wanted to beat the shit out of him. He went to a rival high school. He, uh, you know, went and played college football, I think, at Alabama. He literally came and, and was selling sports performance. So he was a full-time sales guy, and he would crush me. And mm -hmm. I hated him. And then he then went on to to work at, you know, work with Bill Parisi and Martin Rooney. Okay. And uh, we ended up going and doing dinner together one day in New Jersey. And uh, it was like, dude, I'm tired of getting my ass beat by you. Let's work together. And he taught me a lot on business. And now he went on to build a company that was originally called Sales Huddle, now called One Huddle. And it's one of the best kind of, you know, human behavior change models for, you know, all different types of service-based businesses and made connections amongst different people. 2011, another introduction from him to someone else was like, hey, you two need to meet, you know? And when someone that you trust is teaching you so much and says, hey, you guys need to meet, you pay attention. So sure. emails got exchanged and uh, the guy's like, hey, yeah, let's do a quick meeting. You know, we'll do a go-to meeting. It was like a go-to webinar. Back oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was like, cool, I'm down. It's Monday. We'll do a quick call. He goes, or you could come to my office. I'm in New York. So I'm like, cool, I am. I'm, I can take the train there. I'm in DC. I can take the train there and see you. I did. I walk into that guy's office. Fast track many years later, that conversation was supposed to be short, turned into two and a half hours and a great relationship. That guy's Gary Vanderchuk. Oh, I know a little bit about marketing now. He's pretty popular from what I understand. Yeah. So he again, well. I'm not getting my sources from somebody who sucks or superficial. I think Gary, mark my words and put this online. I think Gary V is full of shit. And here's why. Online. No, online. If you think he's good in person, he's 10 times better. I don't doubt it. Let me tell you something. Everybody, you could say whatever you want. You could think he's amazing. I think he's full of crap online because he's not even close to who he is in person. In person, he's actually so much better. The context and the level of, look, a skill I don't have. I fight it. It's hard. I got bottles of wine on my wall that have the damn word on it, which is empathy. And I don't have that. When I tell you that he has the ability to take empathy and context and marry them together at a, such a unique level and then give something very practical to you is such a unique skill mm -hmm. that it makes for such powerful decision-making because <laughs> your frame of reference now is like, this guy's not in it for him. He's basically giving me something that's actually so practical. It could crush him if he, if the person took his advice and he doesn't worry about that. He doesn't worry about knocking a, 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 you know, anybody down. He's just saying, Hey, here's how I did it. Here's the framework, not the way I did it. Here's what you should do. And he's so contextually on point that I think his online content is garbage because in person, he's so much better. And when you find really good coaches, unlike, the earlier stages of this conversation when people are too young and they're, they're presenting like there's something too soon right. or where they move away from coaching and now they're just in the business space or they're just in the, the speaking space or they're just in the online presence, educational space. They remove themselves from coaching. There's an identity crisis and a disconnect right. that when you actually get with them in person, they're a good one hour talk and they're very superficial and that's it. So what you really want to do is you want to find a coach that when you're with them in person, it just gets better and better and better and deeper and deeper and deeper. Not, dude, I could have just, I could have just went online and bought your course. You want someone that basically goes, dude, there's a lot of information. And then when I get you in person, your brain just goes poof. That's what you're looking for. So I would say seek and find that. So what I did is I found that. And then I started to layer that on to businesses that helped other parts of my business. And that's all it is. So now, you know, I, yeah, I run Athlete HQ, which again is working with the most elite athletes in the world. It's working with Olympians. That's a full-time job. Right. So then I built from a business standpoint, an organization that has Gary Mahabir. He's 50 plus years old and he's shredded guy's super healthy, does the part great guy. And he runs our, our, 
executive program and he's coaching CEOs, he's coaching executives, he's coaching business owners. And then we, we do everything, you know, we use Merrick to do all of our blood work. So now we have a team of doctors that are overseeing right. our executives and they're catering to everything they need. We have direct to the door supplementation that is curated based upon their blood work. So now we've built a dashboard and we're not guessing. Yeah. And then we take that and then we have a coaching element on top of it. Um, so, and then for me, my role in that capacity is more on the mindset and the optimization of their, their lifestyle strategies. Mm-hmm. So we just start layering and layering, but all we did is take the same strategies and tactics that we taught professional athletes and give it to executives. Mm-hmm. And then from there, Hey, had an opportunity to grow some things. And with a partner of mine in the tech space, we bought sites at scale, which is Australian based company that does websites and brand building and content and everything else. That's an area that I know. Well, I have good operational skills. So, you know, we just took that over and now we're going to be expanding that Australian market. And we're going to expand that to it globally and take it to the U S because there's a need for it here. So everything I do is basically aligned together. There's nothing that's like, we do this, we do this, we do this. And then we do some weird shit over there. It may seem like that, but they're actually, you know, quite, you know, quite synergistic when they integrate them together. So that's actually the advice that I give to anyone looking to maybe, you know, produce another service or an adjunct product or something like that is to not look at your business in terms of verticals, but rather to look at your business in terms of an ecosystem. So, and within that ecosystem, you always have to put yourself in there too, right? So I have my own, my own life, my wife, my own personal pursuits. Then I have my coaching. I have my mentorship. I have my education site. I have my other coaches. All of these things make me money. But I know that if I boost one of them, it feeds into the other. And if that one goes up, it feeds back and it feeds forward and it fe- and, and everything grows together. So what you're essentially telling me is you've just built all these other businesses or, or bolted on, as you said, to feed into all of the rest of the things that you do. Obviously, if you buy a branding and, and uh, you know site building branding company, obviously it's going to build your first business. Yeah, it became, it becomes, so I built the way that business worked, which was really good, is the guy who founded it nine years ago was a friend of mine who I met through another mentor in Australia. And he built an incredible business, but he's a great personality and he's got a high technical skill. So there's gaps in the business now that weren't there before when he was in it. Uh, but he helped me build my company uh, next to his mm. uh, overseas, which allowed me you know, the opportunity to grow at scale, which was really nice. That company was a marketing company. It was called StartRight. It's a brand building company that basically builds brands to dominate the the space. And it's very much around taking two concepts, your personality and your professionalism and combining them. We just want your professional image and your personal image. And we just want to marry the two so that your personality shows up on stage. That's it. We don't want you to be fake. That's our main goal. And we want to make sure that when people see that, they go, that's cool. That's what I want people to say. Because the right people will say something is cool. You know, for instance, if you're not into country music, you're not going to listen to country song and be like, I love that. Let's keep playing it. If you're not into hip hop, you're not going to be like, turn that up. You're not into hip hop, you're a loser. Well, that's a fact. Yeah. So, um, and for me, if I hear songs that I like, oh, that kind of jives with me, you know, we're going to be like, hey, turn that volume up. Cool factor is individual. So you're going to immediately create a filtering mechanism to the people that you want to work with if you create something that is attached to your professionalism and personality. And that's all we're trying to do. So he helped me build that. And in his business, the probably biggest gap is marketing, not because he's bad at marketing, but he's so good at another skill that he didn't need it. Like he had the majority of his business is internal referrals or when he's presenting on stage. So now I could take that marketing part of my business and then layer it on the new business that we just took over. Mm -hmm. And now both of those combined allow for the engine to all of the other entities we have now too. So yeah. yes, it does client work. That's where 90% of it works going to be. It's going to be client facing work. Right. But we're also going to use it internally to then grow. So we can layer that on top of any of the businesses that we have. And now we have a, you know, we have an e-commerce department. We have, you know, a web department. We have a content department. We have a marketing arm. Obviously, we have a web hosting side of things and we have a dev shop. So collectively, we literally could kind of build anything and sell anything on the internet now, which is a skill that I didn't have 
So I acquired that from someone else that already built that. He did all the hard work for me. And now I get to do what I'm better at and layer right. those things together. And the cool part about it is the people there are incredible. I was like, we, we you know, we took a, a flight over there to the facility and, um, you know, I say facility because I'm in the, in the coaching space, right? That's it's an I'm office. Thinking, but it's an office. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we get a pretty cool office, like four story building, super nice. We get in there and I, you're always worried about like, oh my God, do I have to clean house? What type of people are there? Are they going right. to, you know, number one is like, are they going to put up with my personality? But, um, I get there and I'm just like, I, I look over to Kane and I go, dude, am I crazy? These people are great. And it's like, he built such a good culture and he built such a good environment that the people are awesome. Now we just want to give them the tools, make their life a little bit better, give them more power, expand the company. But, you know, meeting, you know, some of the people there, you know, whether it be Carrie or Beth or Eileen and some of the other people in the business, you're just like, dude, these people are rock stars. So how do we like double down on that? Yeah. And when you could solve the people problem in your business um, and you have the right people, you know, I have Courtney in my team that handles all of our processes. It's like, dude, you know, people product uh, uh, process, like you, you could check those boxes. Like, like all you're trying to do is make it simple. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the genius is in the simplicity and we overcomplicate stuff all the time, but it's like, how do we kind of expand and contract this, uh, this knowledge so that it makes sense and stays connected. But that's all I did. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to be mindful of time. And this is a question that I really wanted to ask you because I asked it to you at Swiss and I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. So you mentioned, I asked you about boundaries and how you set boundaries between your business and your life. Obviously, you know, you're a married man. So there are expectations on that side of time and, and energy and presence. And I think I personally believe that the boundaries that I set for myself and my business have allowed me to thrive as a person, which then allows me to thrive as a business owner. And you mentioned the word lighthouse, which immediately was a light bulb for me because I have a lighthouse tattoo on my arm for this exact reason. I'm wondering if you could you know, speak to what you feel are the lighthouses in your life and how those keep you aligned towards yourself and your goals. Absolutely. So for me, I grew up on the water and I love the water. And the uh, idea of drowning is probably one of my biggest fears. And yet I love scuba diving and I love kind of taking those things to a limit, which is funny because I like to push it. And when you're on a boat and you're you're sailing, you know, you have your sail up, you know, you got your rudder, you got some, you know, steering wheel and you got to kind of have your compass and move things around. You got to have your North Star right? That's going to help you get to where you need to be. And a lot of times people think that you want to um, have your rocks in your life, that the big people in your life that, are, that you take them with you. And the truth of it is, is um, you're not ready for all of them. Like the boat can't hold all of those people yeah. as, as a boat kind of sailing through the channel, the lighthouse is there to protect you from the rocks. It's there to let you know, hey, here's where I am. But my my job as a lighthouse is not to, to blind you. My job is to remind you that you're walking into a danger zone and you're getting a little bit of clo too close for comfort. And it's putting you in check. And your job is to move past those things. So I have lighthouses in my life that keep me on point. They keep me aligned to my vision. They keep me, a there's a reality check to um, the the effort that I put in keeping me honest. And you talked about boundaries. I, I believe in work-life integration, not work-life balance, because anybody that's in perfect harmony and balance hmm. probably isn't going to be that successful. That's sure. just a reality yeah, check. For sure. You're going to have to be a little bit crazy and go all in. So what happens is, is as I'm a boat sailing through that channel, I have a lighthouse for finance in my life. Right. And as I get a little too you know, close to, to the, the shore and it becomes problematic. That person's job, that person's job is to spin that light around and remind me I'm getting close to the rocks. And then as my boat is going towards another direction as a part of my life, because there's seasons in your life that you focus on different things. And then you just start to learn the kind of channels in the waterway. As you go through the next kind of channel, maybe your, your, your health is deteriorating. So you have a Dr. Serrano in your life who's been in my world for a long time. And he keeps me in check way more than health. He keeps me in check in so many other areas as well. But I'm just super grateful to have that kind of sounding board to reach out to. When it comes to, you know, um, 
realizing that, you know, you have a family realizing that there's going to be boundaries. I have a six-year-old and everyone's like, Hey, once you're a dad, you're not going to be able to work as hard. I disagree. I think you're going to work harder. Yeah. I think you're just going to work smarter. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the things that I noticed is that my time efficiency went through the roof the minute I had a child. Uh, and it's like one of the greatest gifts because emotions that you didn't think you had, you didn't know you had actually were kind of those cells kind of opened up and you go, man, this is different. It's absolutely one of the things that that 100% changed me. If you knew me before and you know me now, there is part of me that is a massive shift. And I'm very grateful for that. And it's been a challenge and a blessing every single day. And it just gets better and better and better. But because of that, I have an integrity test every day I go, I come home. When I come home from that door, my wife is putting me in check and being like, what did you do today? Is it aligned with your mission, your vision, your values, and the integrity and character of this family? Because if you're going to go tell something out to the world and you're not going to do it, that's my job. And she sits there and she stands there and that's her job. And it is hard because there's some days where you can't even look at her and go, fuck, I can't lie to you. I don't even need to say anything out of my mouth, but I know I didn't put the work and I should have. And when you have that kind of that level of kind of, um, you know, synergy between somebody where there's no word that needs to be spoken. Now you understand you have somebody that cares about you, loves you and has your back. So for me, you got to have those lighthouses. I tell people that you have to have a power five. So I think a lot of times people don't do this, but in order to keep your lighthouses um, where you could actually see them, you got to be moving. Because if you're sitting in the channel, you're not moving and that boat is anchored. Well, then you're never going to run into those lighthouses in your life because you're never going to move into certain stages. You're going to be anchored at shore. Mm. So the power five that I share with coaches is the same thing I make my executives do. But for coaches, I do believe that you have to create your power five. And for me, these are mine. These are not, don't go take these and just use them. Yeah, they work. But they're what work for my soul. They're what work for me. So every day I have to do these five things. And number one is read. Before I let the world and the news be put into my brain, I have to decide the direction of how I want my frame to be thinking. So I got to create my lens. And the only way I could create my lens is the perspective in which I'm going to look at the world from to by having information I'm digesting that I choose. Love that. So number one is read. Number two is move. If I forget to move, it's a problem. I mean, I beat my body up. I had a lot of fun in my career, but it's a lot easier to keep an old hinge greased than let one get rusty. And I've been through enough surgeries to tear out some rust and change some things. And it's not fun. So I have to move every day. The third thing is write. So I need to put pen to paper and write some things down whether it be gratitude or whether it be notes for the day or things that you're trying to accomplish at the end of the day, I need to have my brain and my body connected and put it on paper where it lives. The fourth thing is eat. I will forget to eat. It's just part of my, I forget to eat all the time. You're fucking nuts. I eat six times a day religiously on a clock. Yeah. And so January, you know, of this year, I was 275 pounds and I'm 208 right now. Yeah. And my wife looked at me again. You want to talk about an integrity test? Jan- End of January, she looked at me and she goes, you're fucking fat. Fix it. And I, like I, lost 50, and I, and I lost 50 pounds by my son's birthday in May. And she said, cool, you got to be 225 by May and you got to be 205 by your birthday and you got to keep it off by my birthday, which is in December. So it was a perfect window. So I was 225, I was 275, I was 255 um, or 225 by my son's birthday. I was 205 by my birthday and I'm going to be, I'll stay that way. I'm 208 right now because I had a good time at Swiss and I'm going to stay that way going into her birthday, which is in December. And I'm going to keep that off because that was my commitment to her. She didn't tell me, get a trainer. She didn't tell me, stop eating. She didn't tell me you need to go work out. She said, you're fat. You need to fix it. You know what you need to do. She trusts that I know what I need to do. I should hope you know what you need to do. Yeah. Like (laughs) if I don't know what to do, I'm screwed. Yeah. There's a fucking problem. Yeah. So, um, but I need to eat. I forget to eat, you know? Um, Okay. And I'm a big guy. I like to eat. I like to eat a lot and I like to be big. So I don't have any body image issues. Um, but if I don't fuel myself, then it becomes a problem. And in order for me to do that, I got to eat boring. Yeah. I got to eat the same thing over and over all the time. You know, I will wear that out and I don't get bored of it because um, I understand it's the discipline that I have to adhere to. And mm-hmm. to me, the, the athletes that have the most success are the ones that are willing to do the boring stuff for the longest. 
Don't you're going to have those incremental changes. So that's number four. And the fifth one to my power five is probably the one that, that people do the least and is probably the most important. And that is pray. As a man, you're going to try to find your human limit. As a man, you want to kind of find your boundaries and you're going to test your boundaries and you're going to have something that's going to keep you in line. If your ego gets the most to you, you're going to have to have a higher power that you're you're talking to. And, and, and whatever that means to you, you'll find it. But for me, it's, it's, it's kind of my relationship and my relationship is I, I need to kind of openly talk about that to myself, maybe not to the world, because if I don't do those five things, then um, faith without work is dead. James 23. So I got to put the work in. I love that. I love that. I'm trying to think of what my five are. Our first four are the exact same, but uh, you forget to eat. No, no, but I know for me, for me, fuel like food is the discipline associated with food is a direct correlate to my discipline in the rest of my life. I'm a big, I'm a big believer that, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if I'm going to be disciplined in one area of my life, I need to be disciplined in all areas of my life. Um, I'm going to think on that. And And I don't, and I don't have that, like to be super transparent if you ask me uh, where I am in regarding um, doing something I don't like, I'm horrible. So if that was the representation of how I do everything, I suck. But if you try to interact with me in a certain area, I'm going to be on point because that's my jam. But right. if you act, I don't do, I don't do a lot of things that I don't like to do. And I'm fortunate to to be in an environment. You've cultivated, like that. you've cultivated yeah. that ability for sure. I am very good at, um, uh, manifesting what I want through action and creating an environment where those are the only things that could live. So I don't let anything live or gain traction in my world. If it's cancerous to my life, I don't, I, I cut it out quick. I learned and to do the, that. Yeah. It takes some time. Things. It takes some time. So for me, um, a good example, you know, r- regarding food is, I could not eat for like, I could fast for 10 days. The first three, I'll be miserable and then I'm good. And it's crazy, but you have to get through that pain point. I try to do that about once a year. 10 days. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I cheat though. I do water and coffee and then I take amino code from Jason Deere's ultra human. So it's a little bit of a cheat code because I feel good. I'm getting the energy I need. Um, But I feel like shit for the first three days. And then after that, I feel great. And then I go, okay. And then it gets to about, you know, then I'm, then I'm not hungry. You know, I remember we, we, we invited, we did it as a staff. We did a challenge where I said, Hey, you guys could do it, you know, whatever you want. And I'll finish at the 10 day mark and we'll all eat at the house. So some of them started the day before the fast jackasses, but, um, the, um, the cool part was, is like at the end of it, you, man, you feel great. You don't realize it, but um, obviously you need fuel to drive at a high performance level. So it's just a reminder that your body could do some things that you, if you put your mind to it, your body could do so many things that you're just, you didn't think were possible. And I'm a big believer of like constantly flexing, not just your muscles, but your discipline. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think having an area of your life where you're able to flex that discipline, whether it's food or with training or with some sort of disciplinary action, um, doing things you don't want to do. Cause ultimately like we need to manufacture some stress in this, in this, you know, nerfed life that we live. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's, it's flexing the discipline that you have to reach out to people like, you know, like anybody, but with me, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And if it weren't for the discipline you have to say, Hey, I'm going to do this and then actually follow through, you know, we wouldn't have these conversations and that relationship is probably going to grow just because of that. So I'm grateful for it. And I just want to say thank you for your time. Um, So I have a few quick hit questions that I finish all the podcasts with the first one being, do you crack an egg on a flat surface or on the corner of the pan? I'm a flat surface guy. Good man. Uh, one album you could listen to, no skips. American Gangster, un, most underrated Jay-Z album of all time. American Gangster, okay. Okay. Uh, top five, Dead or Alive, You, A Dinner Table, Five Guests. My great-grandmother, uh, Haiti, she passed at 98. She was, um, you know, oldest wow. 
oldest of 22 brothers and sisters straight from Cuba. I savor every single moment that I've ever had with her. I wow. made a promise to myself I would see her as much as I could when I was in first grade and God let her, you know, kept her with us for such a long time. And I took advantage of those moments. So I don't regret anything, but I'm, I would always take those moments back. Um, Winston Churchill. Popular guy. Would, 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 be, yeah, would, would be, would be number two. Um, I think the easy one is Jesus. Right. But I think that would be pretty scary, but just to understand kind of, you know, what that life's like, Julius Caesar would be number four. And then number five would be my grandfather, Thomas, who passed before I was born, who, you know, my son's named after, um, you know, six, six Irish guy, um, you know, big red beard and uh, World War Two uh, Purple Heart veteran N didn't have a chance to meet him. And uh, I could just see the similarities. I was able to live with understanding who he was as a man because of the lessons passed down. Wow, and you want to, I kind of want to go back and see what that's like. That's powerful. Uh, the last question, if you could see anyone on this podcast, who would it be with the caveat that you have to help me get them on? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm going to throw one out there that I don't think has been on your podcast, but I do believe that they would be an incredible guest. And I'm going to put two out there. Yep. I'm going to say coach Nicole Rodriguez. Cause I brought her up yep. and it's a completely different audience for you guys, yep. but uh, she was at boils for a long time. And then she ran Exos as uh, in education and she is a badass coach. Um, Dr. Adam fight. Dude, I know Adam fight. Yeah. I would say Adam, who I don't okay. think has been on your podcast. He hasn't, but he's totally and going to be. Adam is, uh, Oh, Adam is one of the rare people that I think is, he is, he, he is so much better than where he gets his credit for. And yep. I would feel comfortable with him. Those are the two people that if I had to give the keys to, you know, a gym at any consideration, I could trust that no matter what happens, they're going to do the job. And no matter what the role is, Dude, meaning is I could give them the role. keys. I could give them the keys to anything in my life. And I'm confident that they would take care of it. This world is so small as if like Adam fight was the, the name out of your mouth. Adam, Adam and I had the same boss, Frank Wintrick. Um, no shit. Yeah, Adam worked for Frank at the Citadel. Oh, and then wow. I worked for Frank at South Florida. And uh and I know Adam through that. Wow. I, I didn't even know that. And I think that's awesome. That's cool. Very cool. I was trying to pick people that I was confident are not in your world. Dude, Adam is a Adam's a G. Um Cav man, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh I'm grateful for this new friendship. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, this relationship will continue to grow. Uh, I've already learned a ton from you and we've talked for, you know, less than two hours total. So I can only imagine. I appreciate it. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw one out there. Cause I don't think, you know, Ben, Ben, ben. Mayfield Smith from Australia. He's not. in the bodybuilding world. He owns matter athletica. Uh, and he is the, he's the bodybuilding guy of Australia and the coaching world. And he's an incredible incredible human but an incredible conversationalist which you guys could dive into coaching and into the science because he's a great teacher but i would say uh those are three people that i didn't think were in your world and only one of them hit your market and the other two i think are skills in which you deliver and teach to your people every day so yeah. you could find parallels that'd be amazing dude thank you so much uh i have how to get a hold of you on instagram your two websites and a link to your book in the show notes so if anyone needs to get a hold of cav that's where you can do it uh thank you so much to everyone for listening to the coach's corner you podcast please make sure to like share subscribe and thank you again cav have a great day everyone